in the span of a week, Lane Kiffin turned this defense from something that needs to be worried about to something that might be okay. We'll explain. You are locked on Ole Miss. Your daily podcast on the Ole Miss Rebels. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Remember, Locked On, your team every day. Hi, I'm Stephen Willis. Welcome to the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. We're having a good time. I hope you are too on this Monday morning. So, Isaac Ukwu committed to Ole Miss, completing what was a big week for the Ole Miss defense. And it really cannot be overstated exactly what has gone on. From Deshaun Gaddy to Stephon Wynn, the defense has kind of repaired itself into a situation to where they're in pretty good shape. As I call them, they're good to go. And what I mean by that is, no, this isn't the 2011 Alabama team lining up across there, but it's in a position to where this defense isn't going to be a total liability to where you need an exemplary offense to compete at a high level. Now that bar is kind of leveling a little bit, your offense doesn't need to be as good. I still think this offense needs a number one wide receiver. They have a really, really good number two wide receiver in Trey Harris, which I'm talking about in the second segment today. But I do think that number one guy that gets the defense's attention is important for this team. But on the defensive side of the ball, Isaac Ukwu, um, you look at his grades. I checked out his PFF grades. I checked out his zones and snap counts and stuff like that to try and figure out exactly what type of player Ole Miss is getting. And the answer is Ole Miss is getting a pretty good player. This is a player that had seven and a half sacks last year in his first division, first year at James Madison in D1, okay? So playing against pretty good teams, you played against Louisville, you played against Coastal Carolina, Appalachian State, those were all opponents that you went up against. So it's not a level of competition concern. You made the jump. You made it to D1. Now we need to make it to SEC. But this is a player that plays, has all the tools necessary to be a solid edge player in the SEC. Now, we've harped on Ole Miss's lack of a jack position or an edge position for a while now. Because if you look at just true edge players, you have Cedric Johnson, who missed all of spring, I think, with an injury. So he needs to come back and perform. And you have Jared Ivey, who is a really, really good football player. So I'm not talking in any way about them. But after them, if you look behind them, it was problematic. Now what you've done is you've created a three-headed monster of interchangeable parts that can play on the outside of both ends of a four-man line. Whether it's a strong side defensive end or a weak side defensive end, these players can do what is necessary. Now, Ukwu's size, he is 6'3", 260 pounds. And that's a good size for a defensive lineman, defensive end in the SEC. Will Anderson, example, was 6'3", 245. That's what he played at. So I would not worry about size in this defense. In fact, I think um, Cedric Johnson and Jared R. Ivey probably need to shed a few pounds 
going into the season because the difference between 3-4 defensive end and 4-3 defensive end can be pretty steep. And since Ole Miss does not have a jack at this moment, which they still do not have that, there's going to be a ton of four-man defensive line. And we interviewed Jared Ivey over the weekend where he talked about four-man defensive line without giving away state secrets, he told us that. But he said this is going to be a lot more four-man front type stuff. So this defensive line has really, really improved over the last week, honestly. It went from a situation before all of this started, it was like, hey, Ole Miss needs depth at defensive line in a worse way. I, I am all about Cedric Johnson, J.J. Pegues, Josh Harris, and Jared Ivey as the front line. Front line, That front line is fine. I would put that front line up against dang near anybody in the Southeastern Conference. But after that is where it got scary. You had Xavion Harris. And then, eh. You had Jamon Gordon, maybe. Which I'm glad he came back. Don't get me wrong. But, man, and you, you like you need it something to have a solid two deep because as we have learned with the speed of which our offense goes, you need a two deep on defense. So after that front line, it it got scary, it got iffy, it got eh, weird. So Ole Miss has added Isaac Ukwu at edge. They've added Stephon Wynn. At three technique, this is go with Xavion Harris, and they're bringing in DJ Holmes. We'll see what happens with him. Chamberlain Campbell. We'll see what happens with him. But there's edge players coming in, and also you have the idea that I had of using Centarian Perkins in a jack position from time to time, just to team off on the quarterback. He's it. Like I said, he's the best football player on every field he's ever stepped on. He is going to play. He is going to play early. He's not, I'm not saying he's going to start, but he's going to play. But if you do that, that is that becomes like a mix and match too deep on the defensive line. And linebackers, you're too deep anyway. You've added Deshaun Gaddy at cornerback. You're okay there. You added um, Deshaun Anthony from Liberty at safety. You've kind of done the job necessary in the transfer portal for the defense. They're kind of in a position to where this offense that Ole Miss had last year probably could win some games this year. The defense is not going to be that liability. You do not need that exceptional offense to pair with this defense moving forward. It's, it's just a weird thing to think about, but that's the way it is. Anyway. Today, I do want to let you know that today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious snack, but you do not want all the sugar and calories, then you need the best tasting protein bar ever. Built, you got to try this. If you're like me and you want to make a healthier snack choice and you don't want to compromise on taste, I've got just the thing for you. It's Built Bars and Built Puffs. Built Bars are healthy and taste amazing. Seriously, they're so amazing. You won't even think they're good for you. What makes them so good? Well, for starters, they're 100% real dark chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and cookies and cream. I'm not sure how they do it, but it tastes like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. 
It's only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait to get your box. For years, we've been telling you about ordering Built Bars at Built.com and use pro, using promo code LOCKEDON15. But now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. But you can still get your specialty programs at pro, flavors at Built.com. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, and coconut puff. And I do like the double chocolate. If you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors, brownie batter puff and churro puff. You'll thank me later. Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. Every day or tomorrow on the show, we're probably going to start previewing opponents on the schedule as the transfer portal kind of comes to a close of this cycle we can start to look at other teams and figure out exactly what they have. I, I've got my Phil Steele magazine ordered, and it's going to come in, and we're going to go you know, game by game, maybe not Mercer, but starting with Tulane, on to to Mississippi State. And then a little bit later on, we're going to have other locked-on hosts that come on to talk about their team. That's going to be the drill down after I give you like the, the little preview segment. And then we'll do W's and L's as the season gets closer. So that's kind of a plan that I have. And, I mean, if we do that, we can get, I don't know, 30 episodes, which will almost take us to football season. So that's an idea that I had to do. So I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to the Locked On host um, and other people about the two-lane green wave and the other opponents on the schedule. So that should be pretty cool. Anyway. This next segment, I want to get to know Trey Harris because he did not play very much in the spring practice, in the spring game. You didn't necessarily get to get introduced to him there. But he's a good ball player. If you think Malik Keith, he provides a lot of the same stuff. And stylistically, it looks a lot like Dante did out there. He's kind of a Dante Moncrief, physical-type wide receiver. And at Louisiana Tech, it was a situation that was a little bit weird. Against AP, AP Top 25, he had four catches for 60 yards and a touchdown. Um, but if you go by quarters, like he's a really good first quarter guy. And what that means is that the script that Louisiana Tech was running was designed to get him the football, and the other team wasn't quite sure exactly what he would do. So he kind of went off, 27, 4, 3, 4 touchdowns. Had three carries, 11 yards. At the beginning of the game, the first quarter, he was a weapon. But as team teams rolled their coverage over to him, second quarter, 15 for 136 and a touchdown. Third quarter, 11 for 187, three touchdowns. 11 touchdowns, for or 11 catches for 191 in the fourth quarter. The yardage production goes up. The receiver disruptions kind of flatline a little bit. If you look at his season stats, he had 65 catches for 935 and 10 touchdowns. That's like 14 and a half per um, catch. Really good football player, 6'2", 200 pounds. He's out of Lafayette, Louisiana. Good football player. Now, is it, I mean, there's just no way you can get around that. If you look at his production by month, about the same, 20, 22, 23 catches, although yardage-wise, 
He really had a good October last year. But one thing that's kind of interesting to me, and I'm trying to find this. All right. If you're going to look at final margin of victories, this is when Louisiana Tech was successful. Whenever they won the game um, by seven or lost like the very closest game, he was 13 for 112, um, three touchdowns. His average not good. So what this is going to mean, the more the average margin goes up, the more his production goes up. 8 to 14, 14 catches, 238, 17 yards a catch, two touchdowns. If it was a blowout, 38 catches, 585 yards, 15 yards a catch, five touchdowns. What that means is he is directly influencing winning. He is directly influencing winning, and, and that's important to understand what is going on. Now, if you want to look at this is like, hey, if Ole Miss doesn't sign anybody, they're going to be fine. But losing Brandon Buckhalter to UAB and losing Keon Coleman to Florida State puts this offense in a position after the dismissal of Chris Marshall of being less than what they were in spring. So in my opinion, Ole Miss needs to go out and find a receiver that can be a number one receiver, not necessarily an outside guy. Because you have, you can see here, you have Trey Harris. He can play that role as the outside receiver number one. But what Ole Miss probably needs to do is take somebody like Zachary Franklin and play him in the slot and make the middle of the field what it was in 2020 when Elijah Moore and Kenny Bowler was running around. That's probably what Ole Miss needs to do. And if they do that with Trey Harris on the outside, maybe Braylon Brown on the other, maybe move Jordan Watkins outside. If you do that, it can probably make the offense better than it was in spring. Just adding somebody like a Zachary Franklin at slot, somebody that can make linebackers scared. Because I like Jordan Watkins. He did a fine job last season. He didn't put the fear of God that Dontario Drummond or or Elijah Moore did in 2020. Some of that could be with Jackson Dart, and we're going to look at that a little bit in the third segment as well because we got his zones for his Texas Bowl performance in there. And that just kind of lets you know again exactly what they need to work on. But if he does what he needs to do, he will be fine. And if they can use the middle of the field, if they can make this work, this offense has a chance to be explosive, and I've told you that for weeks. This is, quite simply, one of the most talented lineups, rosters, that Ole Miss has ever had, at least in my lifetime. Maybe the most talented, which the one they'd have to beat was last year, and the question would be Zach Evans. I mean, it, seriously. But talent does not mean execution, and execution has become critical to almost football in a way that's different than it has been. And we'll talk about that in just a second as well. But it, it should be quite interesting as what's going on and everything. Anyway, today's show is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. That's because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets. 
if your first bet does not win. Now, I do realize that Mississippi is a brick-and-mortar casino state. I do. You have to go there to gamble on sports gambling. The FanDuel is not in the state of Mississippi. But it is in Louisiana, and it is in Tennessee. So if you go to New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Shreveport, Delta, Louisiana, if you're in Tennessee and Memphis, going up to Jackson, Tennessee, over to Nashville, you can use the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Um, it's safe and secure. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell for notifications. Upvote comment, all of that stuff. Join our subtext community. We'd appreciate that. The link for that is in the description. Um, it's a nice way that even if that's not something you'd be interested in, be a way that you could tip the show because this is a free program. Um, but if you like it, that is a way that you can get involved in it is through the subtext community. Now, execution is going to become a critical aspect of Ole Miss football in the near future. The roster has gotten to the point. Now, Execution has been a huge issue with Ole Miss moving up in the past because in the past they needed that execution and they needed the other team to play down and you needed to do whatever you need to do to spring that upset, whether you're in the swamp um, in 2008 in Florida or if you're in Alabama in 1988. Um, if, you know, stuff like that, you needed supreme execution plus you needed help. Now you need a different type of execution. Now it's about doing what you're supposed to do because your talent is at least equal with the other side. There's not many teams out there that has a clear talent superiority advantage over Ole Miss. They just don't. It's about execution. It's about doing what you're supposed to do. And that is a different mindset than getting yourself ready for an upset bid, getting yourself ready for a free shot. This is about being ready to be the hunted. Ole Miss baseball found out this year exactly what the hunted felt like. Now, there's injuries and there's other things that came on, but the execution at such a high level has become a major issue for Ole Miss baseball and um, will be Ole Miss football. And that is because, talent-wise, they know they're good. But if you look at last season, they were good last season, and they had comparable talent as well. And if you look at this, these are the PFF grades offensively and defensively last season. And you see some reds on there. You see some games. You see the swoon at the end of the season. The thing that's upsetting to me is the run defense grade at Arkansas. And they didn't play exactly particularly well against Alabama. And you can see how they just collapsed at the end of the season. Now, PFF, when they do this, a lot of this is based off numbers. If you throw for a certain amount of yards, if you get a certain number of sacks, it's worth it for your grade. It's the way they can do stuff like this and not have somebody just watching and breaking down every single game because I heard that like PFF had like eight people working for them full time. So you need some help with statistical analysis. And you look at the schedule, and as it got harder, the execution numbers gained 
a little bit less. And all of a sudden, the most talented team that has happened in my lifetime ran off a 1-5 to end the season. Now, there are some extenuating circumstances that happened. I'm not saying it's not. The stuff with Auburn was absolutely a distraction and a mess. Um, what happened at Arkansas was inexcusable. And I think that was honestly because the result that happened may not have been the result that was going to happen at that point. But they tried to get better, and they did what they needed to do. And this was a mental lesson that they needed to learn. If you look at the Texas Tech game, offensively they played pretty well. You see the numbers? Run blocking was a problem pretty much throughout most of the season, which is kind of hilarious when you consider that Ole Miss is the number three national rushing team in the country. And I think part of this is the fact that when people actually look at it, there's so much deception involved in Ole Miss's run game. And, but whenever Ole Miss has to get up and gain one yard, gain two yards, they're going to struggle to do it because the offensive line isn't quite as good as you would hope it would be. But deception is so much a part of the Ole Miss run game. It is absolutely ridiculous and interesting to see. So, Execution is important, and, and this is another way that I can dovetail on what I've been talking about the passing zones the last couple of weeks. Now, if you look at that Texas Bowl and their offensive numbers, you have 72 offense, 77 pass offense, 75 pass blocking, 69 receiving, 72. It is one of their better graded out games by P. Pro Football Focus of the year. So what happened in that ball game? Well, besides it being called like a nine-year-old playing Madden and going forward on ridiculous things and giving Texas Tech all kinds of short fields, you have this little interesting thing that happened as well. Here's his zones from that game. If you look at him on the outside, absolutely fine. Heck, I think his outside right, he had a perfect passer rating as far as the NFL rating goes. But look in that middle, middle zone. This is what has people concerned, and this is why Ole Miss gets rated at seven and a half wins. This is why people are probably going to put Ole Miss in third or fourth in the SEC West this year, is that middle, middle zone. Because A, they didn't have anybody to affect the linebackers there because Michael Trigg was injured for most of the season. And Casey Kelly, God bless him, just kind of wasn't that dude. But this year, with Michael Trigg healthy, with Caden Priestcorn healthy, if you look at a receiver like a Zachary Franklin playing a slot role, you could find that position, which is so important to this offense. Absolutely important to this offense. And if they don't do it, it's a problem. But a 17-passer rating is not going to cut it. If you look around, otherwise, pretty decent numbers. Pretty decent numbers. And if you remember and was listening before that Texas ball, I did say that Jackson needed to wing it because he needed to get better in that middle of the field. And three for nine for 58 yards and two picks it looks bad, but at least it was nine attempts. It was nine games that he could put back in that memory bank. 
Now, we didn't see in the spring game. I'm hoping that they just, for whatever reason, didn't have anything, didn't want to do anything. But we will see what happens because that zone right there is going to determine whether Jackson Dart is quarterbacking against Mercer and, or Spencer Sanders. That zone. That middle's middle zone right above the yellow line is going to determine the winner of this thing. Otherwise, Jackson Dart, NFL quarterback, he has all the tools in the world. He can be as good as we need him to be outside the numbers. Inside the numbers, he needs to improve in year two. And I'm not saying he can't. He might come in against Mercer and light it up and look like the second coming of Matt Corral. But whenever you consider that Ole Miss's offense's weapons mostly reside in positions that take against the middle of the field, whether running back or tight end or a slot receiver. Like I said, you have Trey Harris on the outside, but if you look at those guys in the middle of the field, if they are in a position to where they don't use them, that's on them at this point. You know it. It's built that way. If it doesn't happen, it's kind of on them if that makes any sense whatsoever. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. Every dayers, this week on the show, we could have a very special guest. I do not want to give it away now because technology can go through and get us. Last week, last Tuesday, we were supposed to have Jared Ivey. Technology got us. We ended up getting him on Friday. So I don't want to promise thing which particular day it is, but an interview could happen that is mighty it's pretty cool, honestly. So, anyway, hope everybody has a good day. Hope everybody um, has an excellent start of the week. Um, and, as always, hotty toddy.